Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro, and there is a lot for us to talk about today. Now, it depends on a lot of things, a lot of factors lining up to see if we can get to the bottom of this whole Trump Mar-a-Lago thing. So what I think what I want to do is we're going to talk a little bit about the the conversation, because I've been having a lot of conversations with people about this, and they seem to be confused. They want to see the search warrant, and then we saw the search warrant. It didn't really tell us a lot. They want to see the affidavit. You know, what does the affidavit mean? And what I find is that people don't really understand the difference between the two. It's a process. We're going to take a minute here, and I'm going to educate you as best I can on the process of search warrant, affidavit, and return, etc. So when it comes to an affidavit, an affidavit is a legal document that you would lay out your case. So if I'm I'm a detective, an FBI agent, whoever I am in law enforcement, and I believe that there's crime going on, uh, drug dealing, uh, stolen property, there's evidence of, of a homicide, whatever it, whatever it is, I seek to obtain some evidence. And the way to do that, if, uh, if I know it's in a particular place that has rights, you know, people have rights to, to be, to be uh, secure in their possessions, their papers, and their, their premises. And you can't really go in there unless you have a search warrant, and that's a good thing. You know, back in the day, uh, the king, and this is where all this comes to us from, The king would just kick in your door, go through your stuff, and take your evidence, uh, and then charge you with things and come after you, and you had no way to defend yourself. You had no privacy back in the day. And when we created this country, what we realized is that we need protections from government. And and the founding fathers understood that, because they understand that, they understood that it's human nature to live under tyranny. I've said that many, many times. But we also know that government will continue to grow in power and in reach and in control over your lives. We don't want that. You know, government is, at its best, should be a help to its people, to the people over over whom they govern. It should help maintain a good lifestyle, a good opportunity lifestyle for the people that live in the country. Our Constitution does that. Our Constitution is a document that basically lays out what the government can't do to you. Because if they're just given opportunity, as we see see today in our modern world, that depending on who's in charge of the government, your rights could be curtailed, slashed, removed, changed uh, at the whim of whoever is in charge and their, their political underpinnings, what they believe is right and wrong. So a search warrant is a very important um, tool for law enforcement that protects we the people. So the whole idea is that a search warrant uh, is, a, is a document that has to be approved by a, an uninterested party. So if the police want to come to your house for evidence, they have to go to uh, a judge, a judge who's not involved in the case, a judge who is supposed to be neutral, and make a determination if there's probable cause to believe 
that the evidence the law enforcement agency is seeking to find will be found in a specific place uh, and specific items that they want to take and they have to believe that it's there now. So freshness is the key. So the example that I would give you is if uh, there's a guy named Tom and he's dealing drugs and the police know about it. They have uh, maybe uh, they made an undercover buy or uh, uh, an informant working with the police went in and bought drugs and now the officers know this person is dealing drugs and there's drugs in the business, etc. Now they want to go in and search for that evidence. So they have to put this case together to present this to a judge so a judge can make the determination if there's probable cause. Is there evidence of a crime in a specific place? Is it specific evidence that they're looking to get? And how do we know it's there now? Those are the, that's the three, three legs of the stool. So you do that by creating an affidavit. An affidavit is the legal document that law enforcement creates that lays out the case for the judge to read to see why the officers believe that there's evidence of a crime in a specific place, what the specific evidence is, and why they think it's there now. Okay, so I, I think that's that's pretty clear. I think we get that. So you'd write in your document um, something like, on uh, June 25th, 2022, uh, this officer, agent, whatever, whatever the cop is, whoever the law enforcement is, this officer spoke to uh, an anonymous individual who is known to law enforcement but wishes to remain anonymous at this point and states that Tom Smith is engaging in selling narcotics from 123 Main Street. This officer and other officers from the Happy Town Police Department conducted a surveillance of 123 Main Street and observed what appeared to be, based on our training and experience, walk-up hand-to-hand transactions that appeared to be narcotic-related. This confirmed the information brought to us by the anonymous source. These officers then continued to make surveillance observations of people, and at one point when someone walked up, conducted a hand-to-hand transaction with someone from inside the home that appeared to be Tom Smith, the officers stopped that individual a short distance away and spoke to him, and he admitted that he just purchased uh, heroin and methamphetamine from Tom Smith. Uh, at the house. This individual turned over the drugs, was placed under arrest, and a formal statement was taken from him indicating that he purchases from Tom Jones or Tom Smith, whatever we're calling him, every week. Well, the officers conducted this uh, surveillance for uh, another several hours, and three more people were arrested, indicating that Tom Smith uh, is a regular narcotics dealer and that he currently has uh, a good quantity of drugs in the house available for sale. To further uh, prove the case that there are drugs in the house, we are looking specifically for heroin, methamphetamine that is bagged up in small little plastic bags. One of the individuals arrested agreed to make a, agreed to make a phone call to Tom Smith while the officers overheard the conversation. Tom Smith dialed the number, 123-456-78910. The phone was answered and... The informant said, hey, Tom, what's up? Uh, Tom Smith responded, nothing. What's going on with you? The informant then said, hey, listen, I'm looking to pick up a package. Uh, Do you got any H? And he says, yeah, man, I'm good. I'm loaded up. Come on over anytime. Just, you know, come up the front porch like usual. Okay, thanks a lot, man. I'll see you later. And he hung up the phone. Based on our surveillance, 
based on the observations the trained officers made, which led to the arrest of several individuals who all stated that they were purchasing drugs, had drugs on them, and said they purchased them from Tom Smith. And then the overhear conversation where Tom Smith uh, said he had uh, plenty of narcotics available for sale. These officers believe that at this time, in 123 Main Street, the home of Tom Smith, there will be found quantities of heroin, methamphetamine, records of drug sales, monies related to the sale of drugs, and other paraphernalia related to the sale of narcotics. Based on that, this officer is requesting a search warrant be issued for 123 Main Street and for the person of Tom Smith. And that's the affidavit. That's kind of what it would be like. In a bigger case, obviously, you could have multiple, multiple, multiple pages of information. You want to really build the case because the judge, who's the uninterested party, has an obligation to protect the rights of everyone, but also to uh, allow law enforcement to use this tool if it's appropriate. So once you write up your document, your affidavit, and you bring it to a judge, the judge then reads it in your presence. While the judge is reading it, he or she may ask you some more questions. He or she may say to you, hey, what about this? And you answer, and the judge will say, write that in here and make it another paragraph, hand write it in, and then initial it, because I think that's important to the probable cause, whatever, whatever the judge does. If the judge then finds that based on the affidavit and the testimony of the officer, the training of the officer, the experience of the officer, the judge believes that uh, it appears to be there's probable cause to believe that at this moment, in a specific place, there is specific evidence that leads to be, uh, that lends itself to be uh, evidence of a crime. And then the judge would sign the affidavit. The officer signs the affidavit. And then the officer would present the judge with a search warrant. Now, a search warrant is a simple document that describes the person, place, or thing to be searched. Uh, then it tells you uh, what you're looking for specifically. And then the time that you want to serve the search warrant. So if the judge had approved the affidavit, now the judge will sign the search warrant. The officer uh, now has a valid search warrant. Search warrants are normally uh, valid for 10 days from the time the judge signs the search warrant. So the officers then have 10 days to execute the search warrant. They don't have to run and go do it immediately. So people have been asking, well, why wouldn't they go run and immediately do the search warrant? Like at Mar-a-Lago, they had it for three days. If they thought it was that important, why didn't they run over there immediately and do it? You have to add uh, to your investigation. Like I said, this is a tool. A search warrant is a tool to help your investigation. So officers may make a determination. In the case of the drug house, they might go right away because they know there's drugs there right now. They heard it on a phone call. If they sent somebody in to make a purchase and they got there and found out Tom Smith said, you know, I just sold out this morning. I saw, I'm not going to have anything until Wednesday. And that's three days later. At that point, you would hold off on serving the search warrant because it's, uh, you got information that there's no drugs in the house right now. Come Wednesday, you would shoot another call or send somebody in to buy something and find out, oh, he's now got a new package of drugs. And then you would execute your search warrant. We also look at things like, you know, where do you, uh, where do you arrest someone? Uh, or where do you serve the search warrant on that person? So if it's in somebody's house, you know, we used to, the term raid is used all the time. 
Uh, a raid is when you're just you're going to the location uh, secretly, quietly. When you get there, there's a couple requirements once you're at the location. Uh, you're supposed to knock and announce. That means you knock on the door, and when somebody says, who is it? You say, this is the police. We have a search warrant. Open your door. Now, you can imagine that if somebody's involved in criminal activity, like drug dealing, selling guns, stolen property, whatever, that if the police knock on the door and say, hey, we're the police and we have a search warrant, and you know you're going to get locked up, you may do one of a couple things. You might open the front door and cooperate with law enforcement. They have a search warrant. Oh, well, I'm caught, and that goes. It doesn't usually go that way. Uh, other options you might have is to run now and try and flush the drugs, destroy the drugs, destroy the evidence, whatever it is. So how long do the police have to wait at the front door if you don't let them in? And you have a, a search warrant is a paper that says from the judge, I command you to go and search this location and locate these items. So technically, the police are supposed to wait like 20 seconds to give people a chance to get to the door, to answer you, to open the door, to let you in. If after 20 seconds, they don't let you in, or you hear them running, and you realize maybe they're going to destroy the evidence, at that point, you would be able to force entry into the location to serve the search warrant. That's one option. That's the knock and announce. And that's what most search warrants are supposed to be. The other option law enforcement has is if they think that knocking and announcing could put the officers in danger uh, say you're buying guns from someone who has a history of shooting uh, guns at people, killing people, shooting police officers. And you think that if you knock and announce, this individual may shoot through the door and try and kill the officers. At that point, you can request from the judge what is known as a no-knock warrant. Now, no-knock warrants used to be very common when it came to uh, searches for, for narcotics because people would most often try and destroy the drugs, throw them out, flush them down the toilet, get rid of the evidence, whatever. Run for a weapon, that kind of thing. Uh, and we used to get those all the time. Very easily, you just put a paragraph in your affidavit explaining to the judge why you want a no-knock warrant because you feel your officers could be in danger if you knock. If the judge approves the no-knock warrant, then at that point, uh, the officers would uh, try to stealthily get themselves in a position to serve the warrant, and without knocking and announcing, uh, at that point they would breach the door, turn the knob if it's unlocked, uh, but otherwise use a battering ram or some other type of a, of a tool to open the door, get in the house, and very quickly secure the location so that evidence can't be destroyed and people cannot get weapons. So that's the two different kinds of search warrants. So the affidavit is the legal document that uh, presents to the judge why the officers think they have probable cause. It has to be very specific, right? You're not allowed to go on a fishing expedition. You know, we're going to go in the house and we believe that Bob Smith is involved in drug dealing and we want to uh, just go through all his stuff and see what we can find that indicates uh, that he's a drug dealer. That's not appropriate. The officers have to have specific information that specific items that indicate uh, illegal activity is taking place will be found in a specific place and the judge needs to know that it's there now. So that's how, that's how you present your affidavit, that's how you get your search warrant and that's how they're normally uh, served. Now over the course of my career, I've served many, many, many narcotic search warrants, many uh, search warrants looking for evidence of other types of crimes. Uh, and when it came to economic crimes, white collar crimes, they, like they used to be called, 
you would think that, well, there's no reason ever for a no-knock when it comes to economic crimes. Well, it depends on who the criminal is that you're investigating. Because um, you never know. I mean, people, people do get shot when they're investigating, you know, theft of money, money laundering, all kinds of things. There's, uh, there's bad people out there. But the use of the no-knock warrant has been curtailed by most courts because of public pressure. You know, everything in our society changes by public pressure. As our society changes and our norms begin to change and what we, what we want from our, our governmental agencies, and law enforcement is a governmental agency. We see the, uh, the whole defund the police movement, right? This was the public demanding that there be changes to how law enforcement operates, how much money we spend on them, which, get, which determines what the officers can do. Um, and we see that. That's political pressure. So there's been a couple of um, no-knock warrants where people have been killed because they make a move or they reach for a weapon or they're doing something that uh, the officers either correctly believe is dangerous or, unfortunately, sometimes there are accidents where someone misinterprets somebody uh, going for something and people get, get shot. And that's, that's very, very bad. Cops don't want to be involved in that. They don't want to do that. Um, what I've seen mostly in my career uh, when we have a no-knock warrant is that that no-knock warrant is really for the safety of the people in the house. And the officers. If you think of an average size house, a ranch house, a Cape Cod, maybe even a colonial, you know, a four-bedroom colonial house, think about that uh, as for size and scale. The average um, police search warrant team with a no-knock warrant uh, can breach the door and basically secure the entire house in about 22 seconds. That means officers go from the front door, fan out to each room, and secure each room, find all the people uh, very, very quickly. The benefit of that to the people who are being searched, uh, while it may be very scary to hear a crash at your front door, uh, and then next thing you know, within a couple seconds, there's a police officer standing over you, usually with a weapon to make sure nobody moves, uh, or reaches for a weapon or anything. The benefit to that is that the people in the house, if they are, even if they are really bad and they would have a tendency to shoot it out with the cops, they don't have time to get to their weapons. Therefore, they don't shoot it out with the cops and the cops don't have to shoot them. And they just take them into custody. So it, it really does have a benefit. Um, there was an incident where a good friend of mine in a neighboring town was doing a drug search warrant with his drug team. He asked for a no-knock warrant. And the judge declined it and said he didn't think a no-knock warrant was needed and the officers should just knock and announce. Well, the, the officers, the entry team, they went up to the door. The officer knocked on the door. Somebody inside the house said, who is it? And he said, it's the police. We have a search warrant. Open your door. And before he could finish his speech, uh, about eight or nine bullets came crashing through the door. Two officers were hit. Other officers returned fire, striking several people in the house, including the drug dealer and the drug dealer's mother. Uh, as they were sitting at the kitchen table eating breakfast, he had his gun there because he was afraid that uh, he might get raided one day. And when the cops showed up to knock and announce, 
Uh, it's the police with a search warrant. This guy panicked and started shooting. Hit two officers. The officers returned fire. Hit him and his mother. Uh, for, for their luck, both of them, their injuries were serious but minor. Um, the mom didn't die and the drug dealer didn't die. And the police went in and uh, secured everyone, found the drugs, and charged, charged the bad guy. So th there's a lot to be said here. When you hear these things on, on the TV news, people don't always understand what goes on how these things work, and that's why I'm trying to explain it to you. So when it comes to um, Mar-a-Lago and many of these other um, Trump-associated people who have been arraigned and arrested and, and taken into custody, the purpose of, of taking someone into custody uh, safely and securely is that they, they violated some law and, and there's, a, there's a warrant for their arrest maybe. There's a search warrant for their location. And you want to get in there safely and securely and quickly. Take everyone you need to take into a custody so that nobody gets hurt. And then you can proceed with your investigation. And then you can hold people to account. And then they go to court. And in court, uh, a judge and jury determine if they're guilty or innocent. The police are simply trying to do their job to get in there and secure the evidence and the people that need to be brought to, brought to court. When we see incidents that go bad... You know, everybody wants to uh, point a finger. Well, why'd the cops do this? Why did they do it? They made the no-knock warrant sound like the worst thing in the world. And I'm telling you, it really actually is safer many times for the people inside. How long does it take um, for someone to react to something happening? Well, that's one of the factors that goes into that. So I told you it takes about 22 seconds, probably faster. Some teams that are really good can go really fast. Uh, 22 seconds to secure a location, a house. Apartment would be even faster because they're usually smaller. But how long does it take someone to react when something happens like the door gets booted open? So imagine this. You're sitting in your living room uh, watching TV with you. Maybe you got your, your, your girlfriend or your wife, your boyfriend, whoever sitting in there with you. And you, whatever show is on, you're having a good time. And all of a sudden the front door goes, ba-boom, goes flying open and all these people come running in. Well, it takes uh, the average human being between five and seven seconds to register what's going on when something happens unexpectedly, to register what's going on, to see it, to understand what am I supposed to do, and then take some action. So that six or seven seconds is very quick. So when the officers come through the door and the door gets popped open and they didn't expect it to happen, and you hear this police search warrant as they come through the door, that is shocking to people. And it usually stuns them for five to seven seconds. They don't, they can't register in their mind what's what's happening, what's going on. And in that five to seven seconds, the officers are on them, can take them into custody, control them, handcuff them, and now nobody gets hurt. So it, it's it's a tool that uh, it, it is dangerous. There's no doubt about it, uh, but it does serve a legitimate purpose. So when we see the Trump people being arrested. You know, going to somebody's house at, at 5 o'clock in the morning, uh, I don't think they've done no-knock warrants. But, uh, you know, people who are just living their lives, they get a knock on the door and there's police out front. They open the door. You know, these are not drug dealers. The people they've been taking into custody are for process crimes, for uh, not, not giving the right answer to a question or whatever. And they decide they're being taken into custody. Now, normally, and I use that word normally uh, guardedly, in many, many instances, when you're dealing with people who are being charged with those kind of crimes, 
that are nonviolent crimes, not not drug dealing or anything like that, but they they've been involved in something and there has to be a search warrant uh, or an arrest warrant. You will reach out to that person's attorney and say, "Listen, we have an arrest warrant for John Smith for uh, whatever it is, laundering money, and we need you to turn him in by nine o'clock in the morning, or we're going to come after him." All right. So at that point, the attorney and the the person show up at the police station. Uh, they present themselves for arrest. They get arrested and processed. There is a bail or no bail. Uh, and then the, the case moves on to court. That's normally what happens. They're not doing that with a lot of the Trump people. They're doing these big uh, big show, show kind of arrests. You know, guys on an airplane flying somewhere. He's already been screened by Homeland Security and TSA, right? He doesn't have any weapons on him. They go on an airplane, they handcuff this guy, they put shackles on him, all right? Now they're walking him out like he's a, he's a mass murderer. They're trying to send a message. This message that goes out is, hey, uh, if you're a Trump supporter, uh, this is how you're going to be treated. Trying to draw people away. Now that's just my opinion. That's just what I'm seeing. Because uh, they could do things a lot differently. We don't see them doing things to uh, people that they agree with, that are, have committed obvious crimes, uh, Hunter Biden, so to speak, uh, just on the just just on its face, it appears there's lots of crimes there, and we don't see any raids in the in the middle of the night. We don't see gunboats coming up the river behind their house and helicopters and 35 uh, FBI agents with machine guns showing up to these people. Matter of fact, they're not even charged. They're not even investigated. So that's why people see things as really unfair. And the and I just wanted to explain the raid process. When you would do a raid, when you how you do a, an affidavit, what that all means. The other thing that, that you have to consider is, you know, what is the potential for danger? So if we think back to the raid on uh, David Koresh and his compound down in Texas years and years ago, uh, they, they were arresting him and going to search the place for having illegal guns, machine guns. And the law enforcement people uh, got information that David Koresh and his group knew that they were coming. <clears throat> Excuse me. But they went through with the raid anyway. Now, in law enforcement circles, we look at these, these events and we try and determine if they were appropriate or not. Should they have continued on with that search warrant if they knew the people inside knew they were coming? Well, I would say no. Why wouldn't they have waited for David Koresh to go to the food store downtown? where he went to all the time, to go get gasoline, to go pick up uh, tomatoes for, for dinner. And when he showed up there, you surround him and you take him into custody. I'm not faulting the agents who did that raid, but it is something we need to always think about. It's, it's a lesson for us to learn about safety and security. So I hope this gives you some insight into what an affidavit is, what the search warrant is, and the last part of the process, and I'm going to mention that now, is what's called the return. So there's three parts of a, of a process. You do your affidavit, which gets you your search warrant. You execute the search warrant. You recover evidence or you don't recover evidence. Sometimes you don't get it. Then you have to go back to the judge with what's called a return. And it says, judge, we raided this location. We, we, we searched this person, place, or thing. And here's what we recovered. And here's the officers that were there. And you give that to the judge. And the judge keeps that with the formal documents about the search warrant that he or she issued. And that's how the process goes. So we'll be back in a minute with some more Chasing Justice. I hope you feel more informed now so when you hear this on the news, affidavit, search warrant, what's it going to tell us? The affidavit at Mar-a-Lago will tell us a lot about the investigation.
We'll be back in a minute. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulvidone iodine-based nasal spray Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. silent voices be heard. It was the rallying call that started it all. It's a wide spectrum of programming, from world and political news to societal and cultural stories. Six amazing years of news blogs, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. All right, my friends, welcome back to Chasing Justice. So as I'm sitting here in the studio uh, and I'm thinking about uh, the next couple of days and what's going to be going on, I'm saying, you know, uh, I was just on a business trip and I just got back and uh, I feel pretty good and I want to stay healthy. I want to keep staying healthy. So what I have here is the Healthy Cell Immune Super Boost product. I I talk about this once in a while because I want to let you know it's something that I like. It actually works. So it comes in this this little tube. You can tear off the top. You can put it on food. You can put it in water. It's blackberry flavored. Or you can take it straight out of the tube, which I'm going to do right now with you here because I like it. So give me a second. Watch this. Mm-hmm. That's how quick it takes to take that whole tube, drink it down. And it really is tasty. And I got to tell you, it has helped me to feel healthier and stay healthy uh, for many, many months now. I am actually a believer. I never thought there really was something that could do that. You see these commercials on TV and you hear about this uh, this thing will help you. This this actually works. So Healthy Cell uh, Super Immune Boost. I, I actually recommend it to you. Okay. 
So what else has been going on? We, we talked about the affidavit now, so now we have an understanding of what that means and, and all those words. What else is going on politically? Well, Liz Cheney lost in a, in a massive defeat. Now, when you see a defeat that big of somebody uh, like her, who was popular at one point, she came from a, a political family, uh, from a very conservative state, and she seemed to be maybe in line for really big things in the future. She's uh, apparently an intelligent woman. Uh, she's articulate. She is an attractive person. Uh, and she has that background. Uh, her father was the vice president, and he was a respected man uh, by many people in the conservative movement. And she looks like she had a really bright future. Then it seems that she lost her mind. Whether she was jumping ship and deciding to be a Democrat in disguise or what, it, whatever, and she became this anti-Trump nut like many of these people are. I mean, I get it. You don't like the guy. I, I understand. There's lots of things about him not to like. But there's a lot of things about him you can like, like his policy. His, his, his governance, when he was the president, things were better. People can argue all they want and say what they want. Uh, the man's policies made our country better, stronger, economically viable, uh, energy-wise. We were in a much better place than we are now. And we've talked about this in past episodes. I've talked about, you know, comparing just policy, not people, whatever. Comparing ideology, not individuals. It's, it's not about, you know, who the individ individuals are. It's about what they believe and how they think they can get things done. Well, I think there's a stark difference between a conservative uh, Republican approach to governance and a liberal Democratic approach. I think we see the, the answers right in front of our face. You know, the Republican approach to energy, we had $2 a gallon gasoline and it was plentiful. We were selling our energy, natural gas and stuff to other people, right? Our industry uh, for, for energy was roaring. Now, under Democrat, liberal Democrat policies, we see that there's a shortage. We're buying, we're begging other countries to give us oil because their, their philosophy is that oil is bad, so we're not going to do it anymore. So they shut down pipelines, they shut down fracking, they shut down all of these things that were bringing us this abundance of cheap, efficient energy. And energy, whether we like it or not, is the lifeblood of our economy and our lives. So the Democrat philosophy was to shut that down. And now we have $4 a gallon gasoline. Well, who does that affect? That affects everybody. It affects every one of us. Some of us to more extent than others, right? So we've talked about economically. If you are, the, the, I think the mean, uh, the mean salary across the country uh, is about $60,000. Some place it's less, some place it's more. But it's about $60,000 a year. If you're making $60,000, you're in that middle kind of a group. Well, when you charge $4 a gallon, that takes a big chunk out of those people's lives, out of their family budget, out of their ability to do other things. You start getting them to the higher incomes, you know, the $200,000, $300,000. Yeah, that extra $2 a gallon, it's annoyance, but it doesn't change really your lifestyle. So this affects the people who make uh, less money, the lower socioeconomic groups in our country, which is lots of people. Lots and lots of people are in that $60,000 range and less. 
I'm even going to say up to $100,000 in income. Uh, that extra $4, an extra $2 per gallon costs a lot of money. I was gassing up the other day. I was heading out. Uh, I had to go to New York for a couple days. And I'm gassing up. And there's, there's, there's a guy who, uh, obviously a, a tradesman, a working kind of guy, pulls up with his truck. And he comes walking over to the attendant and he had his, his uh, receipt for gasoline. And he gets some points. You know, he has some card that when you buy gas from this place, you get points you can use in the store and buy coffee and, and whatever. And he was saying, hey, my points aren't on here. And the attendant says, oh, yeah, we had a problem with the, the calculator on the pump or whatever, but it's probably been a, put into your account. It's just not on your receipt. Whatever. He's giving them the story. And the guy says, you know, I'm spending $100 on gas three days a week just so I can live, and I really want those points. So much like the elderly couple I talked about in the past when they were arguing over what they could buy to eat because the prices have gone up so much, it affected their lives. This affected this guy's life. He's a working man. He's out there doing something, taking care of his family, providing a service, honest living, and, you know, $300 a week in gasoline to do to do his work that before uh, would have cost him $150 a week, which he probably had built into his cost, right? So, so that's what I'm saying. All, all of these lifestyle things make a difference, and it's all philosophy. It's all how you see things. We see our friends uh, on the left, they, they want to regulate everything. Regulate, regulate, rules, 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 fees, 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 as a way to keep getting money out of you. Uh, our, our friends on the right, they see less regulation as the way to go. And people scream, oh, when there's less regulation, things people will take advantage and they'll pollute and they'll do that. And you're right. That sometimes people will do that. So some regulation is reasonable, right? Just like laws. There are some laws that are reasonable. We need to have some laws to keep society in check so make sure it's not a chaos society, a mayhem society. And let's, and again, so when we look at these two philosophies, what are they doing? You know, this Liz Cheney going after Donald Trump. Uh, what else could it be? I mean, if she's a conservative, as she claims, and she says, I voted with Trump most of the time. Why did she turn into basically a tool for the uh for Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer to join that committee and be outspokenly anti-Trump. Well, the only thing that you can look at is that when Trump was running for president, he didn't have very good things to say about the rhino class of Republicans, of which uh, her father is a part of. You know, uh, Dick Cheney, I, I liked him. I thought he was a, an effective guy back in the day. He was right for the time. You know, in hindsight, you look back and you say, okay, well, they did some things that weren't appropriate. But I, I thought the guy was okay. I thought he was a good American. I thought he was, you know, was patriotic. But this, this Trump derangement sy syndrome that these people have, it, it just takes over their whole lives. Where she got on that committee, uh, and they were all people on that committee who voted to impeach Trump. Now, how can that committee do anything fair? They won't let Trump's side speak. They won't let any witnesses be brought in. They wouldn't let anybody on the committee that wasn't an anti-Trump person. And then we're seeing that they're having no traction. Nobody's believing any of this nonsense because it's not, it's not being done fairly. And we talked about that too. You know, I don't want to keep going over things over and over. But if you, were, if you were called to court and you weren't allowed to bring in a witness, you couldn't have a lawyer, you couldn't have any say. It was just the other side. That is not justice. That is not seeking the truth. That is seeking an outcome. And what they want to do is prevent Trump from coming back. 
Um, so like I said, you know, whether you like him or don't like him, look at how he governed. Was the country in a better place than it is now? Yes, absolutely. It was in a better place than it, than it is now. So you have to look at the, what the effect of the person is. Okay, so he's got, a, he's got a, a, an attitude. He says things you don't like. He tweets, whatever. How is it affecting your life? And I know a lot of my friends on the left, because I have friends and family on the left, and they'll say, I'd rather pay $4 a gallon gas and, uh, and have less money and pay $22 for a pound of chopped meat than have Trump back in that White House. Sounds self-defeating to me, doesn't it? Um, and, and like I've said all along, if Joe Biden and his policies would make gasoline $2 a gallon and the meat prices went down and the economy freed up and people could work and, and survive and take care of their families and thrive, I'd say, hey, good job. I wouldn't be opposed to him. What I'm opposed to is what the policies do. The policies uh, have hurt our country, have hurt our people, right? So that that's what I see there, but I, I find it, I think nine out of 10 Republicans that voted to impeach Trump all lost their elections. And Liz Cheney is the biggest example. She has um, shown herself to be something, I don't know what, and it has to be the Trump derangement syndrome because I thought prior to that, she was, she was okay. She had a shot at being a Republican contender for president. I know she's delusional right now after she lost and she said, oh, I'm coming back and I might run for president. If you couldn't win your congressional district, you lost by 37 points. People are yelling at you, telling you something. They're saying, we don't want you. We don't want your ideas. We don't want who you are. I think, in my opinion, when I see what she did, this going all out to attack Trump, she really doesn't understand like many of my friends on the left, they do not understand why Trump is popular. They, they still can't get it. They still, in news shows, uh, they, they go on and on. Uh, why does this guy have such a following? Who's the guy that was Clinton's uh, a publicist guy? James Carville. I, I, read, I saw an article about him the other day and I read it. And he's in there going, actually, the majority of Republicans are stupid and they're evil. Now, for my friends out there who are conservative and who are Republicans, do you consider yourself stupid and evil? Uh, but Mr. Carville does. He says 65% of people support Trump, and Trump is evil, and Trump is this, and Trump is that. And if you support him, then you're evil and stupid. I'm paraphrasing that part of it, but that was the gist of the article. Well, I'm, I don't think I'm stupid. I don't think I'm evil. I don't think Trump is evil. So what I ask people when they say to me, Trump, give me the judge. So what did he actually do that causes you to think this? Well, he was with, he was with the Russian. No, he wasn't. They lied about that. They lied about that. He never did any of that. So you take that out of your argument. What did you do? Well, he, he's, uh, uh, he's, he hates women. No, he doesn't hate women, right? He's, he's very good to the women in his life. Uh, did he say some, some nasty things? Yes, he did. Uh, and whether we like it or not, guys say nasty things about women. I don't think it's right, but it's it happens. Everybody out there has, has been involved in a conversation where people talk about uh, this person or that person. I've been around women that have talked about, oh, this movie star or that one, oh, I this and that, saying things about them. So if that's your argument, that he said some nasty things, uh, you know, you got to kind of grow up. People say those things, he shouldn't say them.
He shouldn't say them. Those are not the right kind of comments to make. We, we're in a more awakened world now. Not woke. Awakened to the reality that we need to treat everybody properly. Treat everybody fairly. Don't worry about what, who people love. Don't worry about where they want to go, where they're from, who they are. We don't worry about any of that. Can they do the things that they, they need to do? Right? So that's what we, that's what we want to, really for our place to be. But these, these people that lose their mind over Trump cannot really articulate anything real uh, that's bad. He's, he's a dictator. He wants to be a dictator. How does he want to be a dictator? How does he want to be a dictator? Is he regulating our lives to death? Is he coming around demanding? Is he hiring 87,000 more IRS agents to, to, to audit people to come after them? Is he doing any of that? Is he, is he part of committees that don't allow the other side to speak? Has he come up with uh, presidential edicts that uh, stop your free speech? No, he's not done any of that stuff. All he's tried to do is to open up freedoms to people. And this is where people like Liz Cheney and anyone else that loses their mind over Trump and don't understand why people support him is because it's not him so much they're supporting. He happens to be a person who is articulating things that people believe that they want to happen. They want low energy prices. They want freedom. They want freedom of speech. They don't want people to say one thing and do another, right? I, I, I'm one of the biggest critics of the of the Republican Party because for years they've told us they're going to do something if we if we gave them the power if we donated this and then they get there and they don't do it, right? They get there and they don't do it. Our friends on the left, they tell you what they're going to do when they get power. They do it and then some, right? They don't, they don't bend over backwards to go across the aisle. You know, look at this recent bill, this, uh, this inflation reduction bill, uh, which is not an inflation reduction bill. It's going to cost us all a lot of money. When, when this comes out, they're talking, this is a great win for Joe Biden. This is an unbelievable win for Joe Biden. Not one Republican voted for it. And they happened to have to use the vice president as her tie-breaking vote so they could get it passed. It's purely political. There's no, there's no great win. The American people didn't want this. Another $7 billion, trillion dollars in, uh, billion dollars in spending, $700 billion. The American people didn't want that, all that stuff in that bill. The liberal wing of the party wanted those things. And they didn't get a gigantic win. They didn't get like, uh, you know, 35 senators or Republican senators to go for it because it was good and all the, the, the congressmen from the Republican side went with it. It was absolutely down, down party lines and the only reason it passed was the tie-breaking vote by the vice president. That is not a big win. That is not a mandate. That is, that is a mess, right? You're, you're ruling against the will of the people. Now, you, you won the election. You have that extra vote. That's how our system goes. I don't like it, but you know what? That's how the system goes. That's why we vote. That's why you got to go out and vote. And when people vote, I say vote for what's best for your family and your country. And what is that? More regulation, more taxes, more audits, weaker military, less energy. Those are the things that are good for your country. Crime running, at, running rampant everywhere now, wide open borders where people are just pouring in, pouring in. We, we can't, aff they're going to cities that can't afford to, to help the people that are coming. How does that help our country? It doesn't. 
It doesn't help our country at all. And that is what's causing all the anger and the simmering uh, nonsense in the background. So when, when a guy like James Carville, who has influence in his party, most Republicans don't, don't listen to much what he has to say. But when, when he comes out and says things like that, it reinforces, yeah, the Republicans, they are, they are evil. They are bad. Look at, look at the government entities that are out there telling us that if you support liberty and free speech and you support Trump, you are a danger. If you go to uh, school board meetings to voice your opinion about things that are happening to your children in the school system where they go and you're not happy with it and you dare speak up, you are a domestic terrorist to be slapped down and shut down. Does that sound like America? No, it sounds like other places. Other places in the world that do things like that. That sick the government agencies on you. right? We know in the Obama administration, they went after the Tea Party people using the IRS. They wouldn't give them their permits. They shut them down and they admitted that they did it. How is that correct? I wouldn't want them to do that to liberal groups. They, sh they have every right to push their agenda, right? See, that's the whole idea here, free speech. Everyone pushes their agenda, gives out their ideas. Here's what I would do. Here's what I would do. And then people vote. And if people want high taxes, high regulation, government all over everything you do, then you vote for the Democrats. If you want less regulation, you want the government out of your life as much as you can have it, you want free speech, you want to be able to go about your business as you see fit, then you vote for the Republicans. Because that's what you get from either party. We, we now have you know, a very, very clear uh, view of that, that that's exactly what you get depending on how you, how you vote. And that's why everyone should go out and vote. And the winner gets to do what they want. And if, if your side doesn't win, then you need better ideas. You need to present it better, better candidates. So anyway, I was happy that Liz Cheney got thrown out and thrown out convincingly. Uh, as, as, did the, as did nine other or eight other uh, Congress persons who voted to impeach the president. How does Liz Cheney side with what she knows to be uh, the government that has done these things with the FBI? We know they've used the, not the, not the rank and file, my brother and sister law enforcement officers in the FBI, but the leadership is politicized. We just had uh, Senator Grassley just came out, uh, and the big thing now is they have these, uh, him and Jim Jordan, congressmen, they have all of these whistleblowers inside the FBI uh, agents who are coming forward and, and giving examples of the bias, the political bias of the leadership, not of the rank and file, but of the leadership. It's being politicized. Department of Justice is politicized. And that is not good for America. That is, that is um, you know, they keep saying banana republic. Well, all that really means when they say that is that the government uses its power, uh, the power of law enforcement, the power of uh, the ability to go after people, the agencies to charge people, to disrupt their lives. They use those agencies to go after people they don't like. You know, it's not uncommon in a lot of these, these countries, these banana republic countries, that when someone takes power, they lock up their opponents and put them in prison. Right? What are they trying to do to Trump? What is it they're trying to do to Trump? They're trying to do anything they can. They're trying to lock this guy up so he can't run. Is that the American way? Is that how we do things now? It's not. It shouldn't be. But unfortunately, as I've said before, I think we are now, and I'm going to use a phrase from the great one, Mark Levin, uh, I think we are in a post-constitutional era in our country. We have now, uh, we have people in power who see the Constitution as an impediment to what they want to do. 
uh, and they have so much power. And with the power of the media, which you have to you have to understand, none of this would be going on. Uh, Biden wouldn't be able to get away with any of the things that he's doing con- unconstitutionally. Uh, open borders, uh, not enforcing the laws, although he wouldn't be able to get away with any of that if the media was an honest media, if they would actually go out and do stories. Could you imagine if they did as many stories about the Hunter Biden laptop, which has now been proved to be real, that, like I said, prima facie case, there are crimes on there by him and his father, the president of the United States, but they don't do any stories on it. The attorney general won't investigate it. So how is that correct and pursuit of justice? It's not. It's politicized. And that's why people are upset. That's why at least half the country uh, is saying, hey, wait a minute, this ain't right. You should do the right thing. You know, if Trump committed crimes, real crimes, not ones they're making up. If he committed crimes, then he should be held accountable. Nobody is above the law. But that's not how our country's working now. In a post-constitutional era, uh, political power determines what laws will be enforced and against who. And that is very dangerous. And the fact that people don't see it, and I, and I say this to my, my liberal friends and family, I say, no, you, I know you, have the, you, you hate Trump so much that you don't care if laws are broken to get him. You don't care if people lie. You don't care if the media makes things up. You don't care if the Department of Justice does things inappropriate to him because you don't like him, so you're happy about it. But what people don't understand and what I try to get through to them is that if they can do that to him, what can they do to you? What if they don't like something you're doing and they want to come after you? Can you actually fight the government? Do you have that kind of money you can fight the government? Most of us do not have that kind of money to fight the government. The thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars you would need uh, to, to fend off the government if they decided they're going to come after you. That's not fair to anybody, and eventually it's going to boomerang back on those people. Just because they don't like this guy, they're okay with illegal activities taking place, lies taking place, because they just want to get him. And that, that is dangerous. That, that, that really changes who our country is and the trajectory of where we're going to be going. And that's the fear that I see, is that when I say in many of these banana republics, they go after their opponents, they lock them up, charge them with things, and put them in jail uh, so that they can shut down the competition. That's exactly what they're trying to do to Donald Trump, even if you don't like him. Hillary Clinton had a classified documents, even the highest level of classified documents on her, uh, her cheap server at home that we know has probably been hacked by foreign governments. We know she had those. Was she ever raided? Was her house raided? Did people go and get her? They, did they go and look in her house now, what she's got hiding in there because of those things? No, they never did. But they went after Trump for the same thing. When these guys leave and these women leave their, their, their jobs, they take documents with them that they think are pertinent to their lives. Maybe Trump wanted to use these things to write a book. Who knows? I'm sure he did not pack the boxes. I'm sure he didn't put the papers in himself. You know, there's people that do that. And the fact that there is quite a bit of evidence that he cooperated with them. He let them go through the books. If you think there's something in these boxes you need to take back that's important, take it back. And they went through it and they took some stuff. And he said, you could come back. Here it is. It's right here. And they said, could you put a special lock on the door so that really it's secure? Sure. And he did that. So now the stuff is secure. And then they come back with a search warrant. And they go in and they take all kinds of things. So you have to say to yourself, was that search warrant for a real purpose or was that a fishing expedition masked 
by, oh, we're going after this or that. Well, in that house, you can look for anything when you're in there. So we hear from Don Jr. that the cameras were running. Uh, they asked him to turn them off, and they wouldn't. The people at Mar-a-Lago left the cameras running, and the entire raid, the entire search warrant uh, process is on video. And they're going to release it, they said. And I think they should. We should see. There's, there's nothing you're going to learn there uh, that's going to damage any criminal investigation. But I tell you, I've been on lots and lots of raids, and I've been in places where I've seen people do inappropriate things in a raid on a search warrant, and I've made my supervisors known. said, hey, this was not right. I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. You need to do something about it. That was nothing criminal. Just uh, people making, doing inappropriate things as they search around, you know? Um, and just as much as that is, you know, and the people, some people were disciplined for what they did and they should have been. Um, it was just inappropriate activity. So think about that. They're searching Trump's house and they're going through Melania's closets. So just let your imagination run wild. What some people might be doing through Melania's closet when they're in there looking around at her stuff. What are they in there for? Right. And if it's on camera, it could be very embarrassing what they were doing. Okay, so uh, that, that's all I'm going to say about that. But think about it. Think about that. It's on video. We should see it and see what actually happened. The affidavit will give us a lot of information. You know, you'll see a lot of things in there. And then if anything in there is not true, well, Lieutenant Joe, the FBI would never put something in an affidavit. Oh, wait, they did already when they went to get FISA warrants to, 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 uh, to spy on Trump. Uh, and the Trump Organization as a candidate, as a president-elect, and as a president. Yeah, they did do that. So there's precedent here that they will do these things, politically motivated things, inappropriate things, to try and manufacture a case. And that's all I'm saying. And if we can't see the truth here and be honest with each other, uh, then we're never, we're never going to make any progress, right? Everyone should be fair. Everything should be fair. We, we're all, we all have rights. We should all be protected of our rights. Uh, and we should all do things honestly, right? Don't, do, don't commit crimes, right? Don't commit crimes. Don't do bad things. Everybody be good and make sure that everyone's rights are protected, not just the people you like. Well, that's it for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, I really I had a lot of things more here to talk about that we'll get to on the next episode. So thank you for joining me here on Chasing Justice. And remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem.